Friends, uh, welcome tonight. It's been a, a big day uh, where we have focused in our various services and I guess across our city and across our nation on Anzac Day. And we have remembered those and honoured those who have served our nation in various battles. And many have lost their lives in that process. Often young men and young women who sacrificed their lives for the peace and stability of our nation, and not simply our nation, but of the world. One such person was uh, John Simpson Kirkpatrick. You may have heard of him. Uh, they often talk about Simpson and his donkey. What's this about Simpson and his donkey? You see, this fellow uh, moved from uh, Great Britain to Australia, and in August 1914, he enlisted in the Australian Imperial Force, serving at Gallipoli, and the following year as Private John Simpson in the Third Field Ambulance, Australian Army Medical Corps. And he served uh, from the time of the landing at Gallipoli on the 25th of April until he was killed in action soon afterwards on the 19th of May. He became famous because, and there's uh, um, pictures and stories of him at the Australian War Memorial because he worked as a stretcher bearer. Using one of the donkeys brought in to carry water, what he did, he would transport men uh, day and night from fighting in Monash Valley to the beach on Anzac Cove. When they were injured, he picked them up and he would travel with them. He did so according to one of the, uh, uh, the people there. He said, through deadly sniping down the valley and the most furious shrapnel fire. He was killed by machine gun fire while carrying two wounded men and was buried on the beach at Hellspit. There he was, serving, carrying people in danger, trying to avoid the guns and was killed in that process. They said they talked about the excellence of the work performed by Private Simpson continuously since landing. Honoured, respected, remembered. Now we thank God for such sacrificial men and women. In John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. And Jesus, as he says that, is uh, looking forward to his own death. He's looking forward to his own crucifixion. And he wants his disciples to know that as Jesus ends up on a cross and gives up his life for them, they ought to be the type of uh, men and women who will lay down their lives for each other. Now, the late Billy Graham, talking about the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, said God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. Christ lays down his life. He sacrifices his life. And when you picture him, just stop and focus on those words for a moment. He hangs there. He bleeds. He dies. And God is saying to you, whoever you are, whether you're watching on the live stream or in this gathering, I love you. Powerful words from the God of the universe, the eternal Father through his Son. But more than simply that he loves us, he then calls us to love like that to love others like that, to lay down our lives for each other. Firstly, within the Christian community, and that's specifically who he's talking about here, to uh, love one another as the church, but also to love others as well. But Jesus goes one step further. You'll notice that Jesus does not give his life for his friends. In fact, he gives his life for his enemies. And we're going to come to that in a little while. But the first thing we notice in Romans chapter 5 is that a, a person might die for a friend. A person might die for a friend. It says in verse 7, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Now, you have loved ones, and I would hope that if you had a choice, that you would have courage to take the bullet for your spouse, husbands and wives. 
I had hope, courage that you would take the bullet for your children. I would hope that I would have the courage to do that, that I would lay down, because of my love, uh, lay down my life for my daughters or for my wife. And Paul says, you know, very rarely will anyone die for it, for a righteous person. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, because we're all a, a little bit selfish, aren't we? In one sense, all, we like to be protective of ourselves, and it's almost like a question, I wonder whether, we don't automatically do it, but you might. But that's not unusual, he says. People do that all the time, don't they? Let me give you some examples. In uh, 2018, uh, tributes poured in for a French police officer. There he is there up on the screen. Who died saving the lives of hostages in a supermarket siege by an Islamist uh, gunman in southern France. He was 44 years of age, Mr. Beltram. He was shot and stabbed after he traded places with one of the captives. Release one. He took their place. He was killed in that process. And what do people say about someone who just does something like that? He didn't have a chance, his brother said. He went beyond the call of duty. He gave his life for strangers. He must have known that he didn't really have a chance. If that doesn't make him a hero, I don't know what would. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, spoke. He said he fell as a hero. He had exceptional courage and selflessness. He deserves the respect and admiration of the whole nation. UK PM at that stage, Theresa May, said, the sacrifice and courage of the police officer would not be forgotten. He saved the lives of others by giving his life. And rightly so, when that happens, you think, oh, I wish I could do that. And you hope that in that situation you would. But I think what Paul is saying is that many times we will do that. We have a chance, a choice, and we give our lives to people who are in need. Maybe a friend, family member, even a stranger if you see them in need. Well, let me take you to World War II for a moment. There's the SS Dorchester. It was a ship that was, uh, that was used to carry uh, 903 troops and four chaplains... Uh, into the war situation. They're in uh, the icy North Atlantic. There are German boats ready to attack them. On the morning of February the 3rd, a German torpedo ripped into the ship. Everyone noticed the ship was going down. The SS Dorchester was going down. And a young GI crept up to one of the chaplains. There were four chaplains on board. Guys like Ricky, and by if you've never met Ricky Sue, uh, he's just come back from Darwin, has been serving in Darwin for a number of years, I was a student pastor here, now based in Holsworthy, and he's the one who led us through that memorial earlier. He's a chaplain working and serving others. But this young guy went to the chaplain and said, I've lost my life jacket. They're all getting the boats out. They're trying to escape. After the lifeboat, he says, take mine. Before the ship sank, each chaplain had given away his life jacket to another man. So the heroic chaplains then linked arms lifted the voices in prayer as the Dorchester went down. And the four chaplains were awarded posthumously the Distinguished Service Cross. They gave their lives to protect other lives. And we rightly honor and respect such selfless acts of sacrifice. And that's clear. So Paul says in verse 7, yes, many people will do that, but then he gets to Christ. When we look at Jesus Christ, he's not dying for his friends. He's not dying for the people who love him and honor him and treat him as God's son. He dies for people who are his enemies. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, we couldn't save ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. Not the godly ones, not the righteous ones, the ungodly. That's you and me. But God demonstrates, or demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
We were sinners. In other words, we were rebels. We're going our own way and we're saying, God, stay out of my life. I'll do it my way. Refusing to allow God to be God. Messing up our relationships. Hurting one another. Adultery, selfishness, violence, pride, sexual immorality, sexual abuse. And the list goes on. Sinners. Rebels. And let me say, uh, our rebellion may be active or passive. Let me go to the first one. And some of you might sit here and think, well, I'm not really rebelling against God. But there's some who are actively rebelling against God. They all say to you, I don't believe in God. It's a myth. I hate Christians. I hate the Jesus message because what you are teaching is harmful to people. It's harmful to society. I wish God, your God, was nowhere to be seen in our nation. Some people are actively against God. They hate God. And let me tell you, some of the most active haters of God, the ones who've grown up in the Christian church, maybe some of their family members are Christians, maybe their, their fathers are even Christians, and their pastors are Christians, but the kids grow up in the family, and they walk away from God, and then they attack God, and they put God down, and they mock God, and they try to convince people to uh, move away from God. And if you've been reading the newspapers and the websites over the last uh, few months, you've seen leading worship pastors now no longer follow Jesus. Leading Christian authors no longer following Jesus. Just the other day, one of John Piper's sons came out with a Twitter, mocking God and saying, I don't believe any of that nonsense I grew up with, for example, in the, in the home of my father and a pastor's family. Active rebellion against God. But I think most of us are passive. What do I mean by that? It's that we're rebels, we do our own thing, you know, we mess up here and there, we sin there, and we don't think it's important. We just ignore God rather than try to live and try to live a quiet, happy, moral life. You know, we're just good Aussies on Anzac Day. You know, we go, we remember the fallen, we have a few drinks, we have a barbecue together, we might go to the beach. We're not bad people. And yet we're sinners. You know, unlike some people I know, and I won't name any of them, I grew up as a moral, obedient child, a high achiever at school and at sport. I never did drugs, I was not sexually immoral, never joined a gang and spent no time in prison. Hallelujah. I'm sorry, I don't have one of those testimonies where I was in jail and Jesus touched me. No, I don't have any of those. But you see, the danger with the good young guys or the good young girls, you don't think you need a saviour. You think you're okay. You're, you're the one everyone looks up to. And then I started to read the Bible as a 14-year-old and I started to see that God said that I was a sinner too. As I looked into my heart, I realised that I was selfish. I put myself first, not God, not, not others. Some of my behavior was not honoring to God. I broke God's commands. Uh, I made myself God and king and not God. You see, I was passive in my rebellion. I believed in God. I knew about him, but I was that type of sinner. But I came to realize as a 14-year-old that all have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. Whether you're active in rebellion or passive in rebellion, you still fall under God's judgments. And I've often said to people, you may not detonate a bomb or deal in drugs or act violently, but you come under God's judgment because you fail to live rightly before God. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. So each of us are in that predic predic predicament where we will die physically, spiritually, and eternally unless we turn back to Jesus Christ. But the good news is what Paul has told us. At just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank God that Jesus died for you and me, his enemies to reconcile us to himself. 
And when he dies for his enemies, he dies to save us from our sins, which is the third point there. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. He died for us. In what sense did he die for us? Well, he died in our place. That's what we mean when we say he died for us. He took the punishment we deserved. The Bible says in 1 Peter, for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for yours. He was dying for mine. He's dying... uh, for the, the people who serve in the military, he's dying for the people who serve in hospitals, he was dying for the people who are teachers, he's dying for the people who work in the local council. He was dying for our sins. You know, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't say it like that because he, he was trying to breathe and stay alive and call out those words, my God, my, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Because, friends, at that point, the father turns his face away and pronounces judgment on his son. The holy righteous one, quoting Psalm 22, is now dying in the place of the sinners. You can be a good person, but that won't save you. You can serve in the Australian military, but that won't save you. You can die in giving your life for the nation of Australia, that won't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And through his work, Christ has brought peace with God and eternal security. Looking at verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Hold on to those words. We've been justified by his blood. Justified means declared right with God. No longer guilty, now innocent. Justified by his blood. His death on the cross. We will then be certainly saved from God's ultimate judgments. And as Christians, and if you're a Christian today, and uh, you can have absolute security that if you were to die tonight, and it may happen to one of us, or tomorrow or the next day, then you're going to go to be with Jesus. Remember the late Billy Graham, uh, he said these famous words, often quoted when he died a couple of years ago, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Safe and secure because of Jesus. Friends, yesterday we had a, uh, an old Australian digger pass away. He's been struggling to, to breathe and stay alive. He would have been 98 in May. Yesterday, he finally gave up his final breath. I remember uh, Keith here, he loved Jesus. He loved to tell you some of the war stories as well. He lost his wife a number of years ago. But... He used to come to church, first person in church. Some of you have never been the first person at the church, right? On a Sunday. Yeah. He would, nine o'clock service, eight o'clock, he'd be out there in the car park, he'd get his spot. And he'd wait because he didn't have far to come, but he didn't want to miss a parking spot. He would sit there and he would think and pray and be the first one in. When he couldn't come to church, he said, I miss coming to worship God, to hear God's word. I miss the people down there. I love coming down there. People would visit him. And slowly, he got sicker and sicker and sicker. And I saw him a week ago, lying on a bed, just breathing. His son lifted him up, because with the bed, they were able to press a couple of buttons and lift him up and get his eyes open, put his hearing aids on. Angie's here, he said. And he looked at me, quite, couldn't quite get his eye open. But I think he saw me a little bit. He was ready, though, to be his safe. You know why he was ready? Not because he served in the Australian military in PNG in 1943 to 1945. 
but because he trusted in Jesus. He's now with him. I've kept a newspaper article of a young woman who uh, lost her life. And uh, teenagers, maybe 16 years of age, there were two girls, Carrie Yu and Caitlin Twible. I read it years ago and uh, it was a terrible story, a tragic story. And uh, they were at some event, some camping trip uh, out at Hornsby Heights, I think it was. And they were, must have been some group or so, and they were under a tree and there was a storm in the middle of the night. Tree collapsed, killed both of them. Just took out their lives, 15 year olds. And then they found her diary and they quoted this at her funeral. She had written this just 10 days before her death. Lord, thank you that my time on earth is running short so that, so that I can go to be with you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity on earth to serve you. Thank you that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, she's probably just writing as a, as a young person, expressing her faith in Christ, not expecting that in 10 days' time she would go to glory. But you see, there's the 97-year-old, 11 months, going to glory. There's a 15-year-old and her friend going to glory. Ready, though, secure, confident that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Friends, that's what Jesus achieves for us. And finally, he says in verse 10 and 11, For if when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Remember, we were enemies, we weren't friends. He died for his enemies, not his friends. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We're enemies, we've now been reconciled through Jesus. We're now, we have peace with God, we've got uh, the eternal peace and security. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God. Or the, the new version says, we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Peace with God is secure and that's eternal. You know, uh, those who served in battles, well, there was World War I, then there was World War II, then there was Korean War, and there's a Vietnam War, there's an Iraq War, there's an Afghanistan War, and there are not, not to mention all the Middle Eastern wars and the conflicts and the military coups, even in Myanmar at the moment, uh, tribal and civil wars in Africa, uh, battles all over the world, right? We think we've got peace for a moment and all of a sudden there's another battle. You go, you go through, we thought uh, Russia uh, under communist powers was, was the threat. Then someone else is the threat. Saddam Hussein's the threat. Then, then Afghanistan's the threat. The Taliban's the threat. It just keeps going, right? You think, we've got a sense of peace, and all of a sudden, there's another war. It's short-lived. It's temporary on this earth until we get to be with Jesus. You know, well, let me take you to Christmas 1914. Why not? Good place to go, Christmas. 1914, the start of the war. You've got the, the British and you've got the Germans fighting one another. The Pope came out at that stage and asked whether the countries would cease hostilities, especially over the Christmas period. At least stop killing one another during this time, see. The nations didn't agree. The soldiers had other ideas. So starting on Christmas Eve, many German and British troops fighting in World War I sang Christmas carols across the lines uh, to one another. At certain points, the Allied soldiers even heard brass bands joining the Germans in their joyous singing. They've stopped fighting. They're on opposite sides. They're in the trenches. They're, they're watching one another, but they're no longer fighting. It says, at the first light of dawn on Christmas Day, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches they got out and they approached the Allied lines across no man's land, that middle section, calling out Merry Christmas 
in the enemy's native tongues. At first, first the Allied soldiers thought it was a trick. I think, hold on, the Germans are coming. Just watch. Surely they're not coming. They're going to do something. They're going to have the weapons. They're going to shoot us out. No. And they noticed they were unarmed. So then the British soldiers got up out of their trenches and they walked across and they met in the middle. They exchanged cigarettes and plum puddings and sang carols and songs. Some Germans uh, licked some Christmas trees around their trenches. There's a documented case of soldiers playing a good-natured game of football that you have on the screen there. And one person said, how marvellously wonderful, yet how strange it was. Strange, okay. The English officers felt the same way. Thus, Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. There's the good news and the bad news. The good news, something about the message of Christmas made them stop. There's a God who became man to be our saviour. And yet, the peace was short-lived. They returned to war soon afterwards. 20 million deaths in World War I. 9.7 million military personnel dead. 10 million civilians dead. 21 million others wounded. Peace on earth is short-lived. Peace with God, though, is enduring and eternal. And because of this peace, Christians will be the happiest, I say, and most joyful people alive. We rejoice in God. We boast in God. We know we, we are loved by God. Christ hangs on a cross and says, I love you. He brings you peace with God. He lives in you by his Holy Spirit. We rejoice in God. There is nothing that can separate us. He dies for sinners. He dies for his enemies. He dies in our place. We are safe and secure in him. Let me conclude. Our Savior, beautiful Savior Jesus Christ, brings ultimate peace. Not peace between nations, and we remember this on this day, but between God and men and women. And he turns angry sinners and rebels who are actively against God and even those who are, who are passively against God, he turns them around to make some followers of Jesus. Now, I'm one of those, as I described myself earlier, I wasn't a rebel, I'm not a wild rebel. But God turned me around and opened up my heart to understand the gospel. And I was thinking as I was writing this this week about Nathan Durs. Nathan Durs was a pastor at this church a number of years ago. He's been at Orange for seven years. And I thought about this, this angry young man, because he told me, you know, and I was an angry and selfish young man. My marriage was almost over. And some of you will know this story. It says, my wife Karen, in desperation, turned up to church. I said, why did she turn up to church? Well, she'd been to a funeral. And she saw how loving and helpful the people were at the funeral. She heard about a God of love and mercy. So she decided to start going to church. They were a mess. This is pre-children and so on. And she loved it so much. She said, I turned up to church and I would just weep. I was in the presence of God and hearing the word of God, I was just, the emotion and the brokenness, I said, I would just weep and weep in the, in the church. And so I heard the message of love and forgiveness, I said, I was saved. And then she would stay because of what we do at church, pre-COVID and hopefully after COVID, we stay after us, have meals and we talk and so on, we're allowed to talk and she would come home late. And one of his friends uh, who was counseling Nathan said to him, mate, I'm a bit worried, what's on? She goes to church. Churches only go for an hour. Your wife doesn't come back for about three hours. I reckon she's met someone there. Nathan thinks, oh, mate, I think you're right. You could be right. So Nathan turns up to church to find out who his wife's mucking around with. And he turns up to church and he hears the gospel. And she's not mucking around with anyone else other than Jesus. 
and he starts to hear the message of love and forgiveness. The angry young man who had lost his way completely was touched by God and changed by God. Within a short period of time, he went to Bible college to be trained. Worked with us for four years, has now been at Orange for seven years. God can take anyone, the passive rebels, the active rebels, and make them into committed followers of Jesus Christ. Because God loves us. As the late Billy Graham wrote, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. But more, then Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You've seen what I've done. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your example. We thank you that on this day, as we've remembered the sacrifice of others, uh, we will not go past the ultimate sacrifice. God in human flesh dies a sacrificial death for the sins of the world, for rebels and sinners, people who hated him, people who wanted nothing to do with him, people like us. We are thankful for forgiveness. We are thankful for reconciliation. We are thankful for peace. And we are thankful for eternal security. May we live lives that imitate Jesus as we lay down our lives for each other. To the glory of God we pray. Amen.